Hi guys, uh, the episode that you're just about to listen to is generously sponsored by our affiliates Board Game Crate. Board Game Crate uh, provide a monthly subscription service where they get fresh new games delivered straight to your door. Just head over to www.boardgamecrate.co.uk and furthermore, if you use our discount code UnluckyFrogIsAwesome, all lowercase, all one word, you'll get a cheeky little discount. It's easy to remember because it's true. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Porter, joined this week by co-host Charlotte Porter. Hello. And we, we also have a guest for yes, this regular show, Yes, a very special guest. Yes, we are joined by Shaz, owner and operator of Settlers Hamilton. How are we doing, Shaz? Oh, thanks very much for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Doing, doing the rounds of the Scottish podcast scene at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, I was, I was speaking to... I, I, to another cast. I don't know. Am I allowed to say them? Say their name? Of course you are. Yeah. Of course you are. Okay. So I was. I was. I was having a chat with Rich over at We Are Not Wizards. So yeah. Yeah. That was good. He's a, he's a, a good lad. Yeah, he's a good lad, is Richard. He's, he's a, a strange lad. lad, but a good one all the same. <laughs> yeah. He, he knows we love him. It's all, all in good taste. It's all in good taste. <laughs> so um, before we uh, get into the nitty gritty of of running a gaming shop, mm. uh, let. Why don't we talk a bit about what we've been up to? What have we been up to? It doesn't seem that long since the last episode went out. No, but since the last episode, I have actually played a historical game. Yes. Called 1066 Tears to Many Mothers. Yeah. That's um, Hall or Nothing Productions. It is, yep. Um, Tristan Hall Mm. was the designer on that one, uh, along with a slew of artists. Yeah. Um, As as the name would suggest, it's... The Battle of Hastings. Yep. But it takes the form of a card game. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. So you get some really, really nice artwork. Mm. They, they've gone for... It is all um, uh, like generated images. Yeah. But it's uh, sort of photorealistic, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's got quite a, a dark yeah. aesthetic to yeah. it. Which is appropriate because it's the Dark Ages. Exactly. After exactly. all. That's um, Hall or Nothing Productions. Tristan Hall. Hall's coming. Hall or Nothing Productions. Yeah, Life Form and Gloom of Killforth. I don't think I have met him, unfortunately. Um, I don't mm. get out of no. the shop as much as I like sometimes. But you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not a total shut in or anything, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to, unfortunately. But maybe in the future, maybe at UK Games Expo yeah. in the future or something like that. Yeah. No, he he is based in Manchester. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So it's, yeah, it's it's more the, the I say more the English conventions as if yeah. there's a slew of Scottish conventions, <laughs> but um, you, you know what I mean. He, yeah. he's, he, he's orientated more around uh, England. So yeah. th- uh, we first met him at Aircon. Yeah, I think uh, didn't we? To go to that. I hear so many great things about that. Yes, it's yeah. very good. We're going this year as it's, well. I think if you're if you're into the open gaming and the sort of social element of things, then Aircon's a good one to go to. And I, I think I think some of the retailers do all yeah. right out of yeah. it, but it's. Where UK Games Expo is a is a bit of everything, Aircon's more about the open gaming. Yeah, I feel yeah. it's quite relaxed as well. It's quite a relaxed sort of atmosphere. Yeah, it's it's pretty zen. Uh, yeah. Com- 
especially compared to yeah. UK Games Expo. So I was just thinking there that actually we've not played very many historical games, have we? Probably not. No. Um, I, I think we we've we've played games that probably have historical elements. Yeah. I mean, because I'm thinking like citadels. Yeah. That that's essentially like a medieval court, and yeah. and you're sort of playing through the. Yeah. The, the, all the intrigue and subterfuge yeah. that that went with the being the, in the court. Yeah, but um, is, that, 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 <laughs> is there a is there a, a, a pug present? There, there may be. There may be. Can you hear her? Is, is she that loud? Oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. Um, she's, she's having a good snort. Um, for those of you, who, those of you who don't know, um, I have a, a little pug called Beatrice, and. Um, she's very chill right now. She's having a. I'm just like patting her uh, head. She's sitting on my lap and stuff. And um, I, I honestly did not think you could hear that. I'm so sorry. Wait, wait, there you go. Unlucky frog listeners meet Beatrice. <laughs> yeah. We've, we usually actually have our tortoise. Our tortoise gets a bit active at night. For some reason. And we'll start climbing his enclosure. You can hear it in the background. He's sort of like scrabbling to get out. Yeah. I'm so sorry yes. about that. I, I did not think you could hear that. My <laughs> microphone's quite really? good. There we go. So we actually have two guests on the, yes, the podcast. Yes. Beatrice. Yeah. I've met Beatrice actually. She's You've lovely. met Beatrice, have yeah. you? In a lot of ways she's like the, the shop mascot. Yeah, isn't she? that is her job title. She uh, she yeah. earns her keep. She is. Uh, she works for her money. She is not a freeloader. She, she's a working girl. Um, but no. Well, she had like a, yeah, a utility jacket on or something when I saw her. Yeah. No, we keep her busy. Um, she, uh, her job is to bring people into the store and make them feel comfy. So, uh, um, in a sense, you know, she, she does it very well. Uh, she, she yeah. often jumps up at the front of the door and, and barks at people and shouts at them to come in. Um, and when they do come in, um, she gives them big cuddles. Like she's doing just now, yeah. she's she's giving me the old lick and snort. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I still cannot believe that you heard her snoring there. That is so bad. Because <laughs> I remember that actually from meeting her that she's not too in your face. She just does her own wee thing. Yeah, she she tends to you know give you the the big hello and then oh okay you know you're, you're decent. Yeah, I'll go back to doing my day job. You yeah. know that kind of thing. Um, so she but right now she's she's just been on a big walk and she's having a bit of this news. So. Um, or maybe, maybe she, when, once you're in the door, she's just like sucker and trots away. <laughs> I work here in yeah. yeah, yeah. I've earned my keep. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. Ten, ten, sixty-six. Yes. Years yes. to many mothers. Yes, years to many mothers. Um, so the although although it's the the main event of of that year in history is the Battle yeah. of Hastings. It's actually like you play through a mini campaign leading up to oh, right. and culminating in the Battle of Hastings. So mm. it's an asymmetrical game. Um, it's uh, Saxons versus Normans. The the Saxons under the command of King Harold, mm. and then the the Normans under the the command of William the Conqueror. A- apparently, before the Battle of Hastings, he was known as William the Bastard. Oh, okay. But then he conquered. Yeah, and it's it's that whole thing about history is written by the victors, that right? That's true. <laughs> but I, I found I found that quite interesting because he, he actually was a legitimate right. William the Conqueror. Mm. Because the this is the cool thing is that the all of the cards have got a bit of flavour text, that yeah. act, but it's facts, right? Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, about the Battle of Hastings and the the people that were yeah. involved in it. They've obviously done a lot of research into it because yeah. it just it looks really pretty, and yeah. they've obviously. I was overhearing you playing it with Josh. Yeah. And 
you would play your card, but the news would always read the flavor text, and it uh-huh. would be like such and such was a defendant of this, or you know, was the friar at this church, and it was just really interesting. That, that is cool, actually. I mean, I, I, you can tell that that's a real labor of love, yeah. and I, I love games like that. That people, you know, they're not there to just churn out games; they're there yeah. to, to mm-hmm. just really put out and publish something they want to publish on Kickstarter because it's the first chance they've had to really do it and just go for it. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and. What I found quite strange was a lot of the time when you think about um, military games, mm. uh, particularly historical games, you think of people like really nerding out about strategy and yeah. all that. But yeah. in mm. in in a weird way, that that sort of took a back seat to the ad- admiring the pretty pictures and and, yeah. and learning all these facts and things about the the Battle of Hastings. But um, w- William the Conqueror. He actually was illegitimate. I, I think that's really important. Again, just the whole design aspect. I feel like a lot of um, war games focus on the strategy and things. Yeah. But I think like there's there's real scope to to get more people into games through the art side and the yeah. history side of things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's definitely cool. They've taken that focus. Yeah. You you make a great point because that's the kind of thing that I I actually think it really should be in classrooms. Yeah. A game like uh, Ten Sixty Six yeah. because the it puts me in the mind of there was a cartoon i think it was in the new yorker or something like that and you have all these animals lined up there's like an ostrich a monkey giraffe penguin elephant and then there's an invigilator with a clipboard in front of them and he says in the interest of fairness you're all going to sit the same exam yeah now climb this tree Mm. i say that to say that you know we're aware and have been for a long time that there are different learning styles but we still insist on sitting kids in front of a textbook and having yeah. some old guy yeah. talk to talk at them for for two hours and expect them yeah. to learn. As a as a former teacher, I absolutely get where you're coming from. Um, I completely agree, um, and I think there are other ways. And there's a lot of discussion, at least in teaching settings, and what the, the one best way is. But I, I agree, it certainly doesn't involve um, boxing people into a classroom. I did not know you used to be a teacher. I did. I did. Um, I used to teach um, ESOL. Um, it's a wee bit different to regular teaching. So uh, um, ESOL, just for, for those who aren't aware, um, it's uh, speaking English um, to non-English speakers, essentially, or teaching English to non-English speakers. So um, I taught in a couple of different countries, but uh, my main focus was in Japan for a while. Um, and I taught there for two years. Um, yeah. So yeah, there you go. A little bit, little, little bit That's trivia. fantastic. Yeah. Because I know as well, there's a lot of uh, D&D in the classroom, especially in America. There's a lot, oh, really? a lot of rise in that. Well, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I talked earlier on about um, Aircon. Mm. Uh, I, I met a chap mm-hmm. called Graham and um, he he sold me some uh, fighting fantasy oh, books. Oh, yes. It was uh, Alien Games. I think it was, yeah. yeah. And uh, I got talking to him for a while because um, I was saying that the reason that I wanted to buy them was that um, I, I was too young when they when they were really first yeah. popular. Kind of yeah. missed the bus on it, and it, and it, given how popular D and D and all that sort of thing is now, um, it, it naturally come to my attention again. It was something that I wanted to explore, and and he was saying that uh, the these fighting fantasy books were. Were credited with improving the literacy of boys That's in the brilliant. 80s yeah. because he said back then uh, you know, video games was an emergent media and a lot yeah. of parents were freaking out about the yeah. amount of time that their boys were spending in front of boxes yeah. and yeah. and so the, 
the fighting fantasy books were this weird compromise because they're reading a book, but the boys felt they were sort of cheating the system because yeah. they were still playing a game. Mm-hmm. That definitely, definitely resonates. As, as a kid who grew up in the 80s, uh, that resonates with me and my family. Um, we had two boys, me and my brother, and we were hooked on those fighting, yeah. uh, fighting fantasy books. Um, and they absolutely uh, paved the way for us into other games and, and other sort of literary kind of achievements and things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that really resonates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really and the, the the conversation with Graham then uh, naturally progressed on to Dungeons and Dragons because, like you're saying, Shaz, like those fighting fantasy books were like a gateway for a lot mm. of boys into to other games. Yeah. But he he was then saying that all these boys that that and you know there'd be some girls. It was predominantly boys in the eighties though um, that that played D and D. They they knew the names of all medieval weaponry. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they, they had to learn all the different types of pole arms. So they yeah. could go, oh, that, that's a halberd, that's a trident. And they, they could rhyme off all these yeah. the, these different weapon types. So yeah. albeit it's a fictional universe, it's still grounded in our reality. And it's yeah. like Gary Gygax, when he was first coming up with uh, creatures and things to inhabit this world, he just pulled them all from folklore throughout yeah. the world. So yeah. Yeah. there's there's a lot of valuable... yeah. Stuff yeah, within D and D, it's a yeah. potential learning experience. So D and D in the classroom, I think, can it's only a be idea. a good thing. Yeah, Holland's a really interesting country to watch education-wise, um, particularly because they have the access LARP is or live-action role plays mm. is almost kind of mainstream um, in that area of the world. So there's, it's really interesting to see how that's impacted and affected things, um, and how uh, parents have taken to the kind of uh, group activity aspect of live action role play and and kind of got behind it uh, rather than shied away from it. So just the idea that live action role play is is not a niche thing in any part of the world to me is is absolutely blows my mind. I think that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I I think you know there's there's a lot of scope for the stuff that we do um, to to really just piggyback on what teachers are doing. Um, whether uh, that's games, you know, like for example, um, there's a couple of really good uh, Kickstarters and self-published games recently, like Vote Me, yeah. um, that, that we stock that, that do really, really well um, in classrooms and things. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot of scope there. And I feel like it's uh, almost like a social anxiety or a social fear that, that keeps people from from really embracing it and really, you know, just giving it a try, which is a shame, really. Um, but at the same time, it gives us a lot of scope to pay, pay that forward and take that example from countries like Holland um, in the future. Yeah. yeah. It, it's one of those things that you, you hear a lot of these sort of urban myths and horror stories about LARPing, don't you? It's, it's one of these <laughs> things that it makes even, like, the, the nerdiest people sort of raise their eyebrows, oh, you're into LARPing, are you? Like I, yeah, yeah. I always remember. Light a bolt, light a bolt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one horror story I heard, and I'm fairly sad. I hope it's not true. And it was, uh, it was, it was the, the the usual. My friend's sister. Went, All right, okay. It was a friend's uh, sister. Yeah. Um, uh, went down to England and she was doing LARPing, and uh, she came back riddled. <laughs> <laughs> I was what? thinking it was a really, we were having a really good tone of episode there. We're talking about education. We're talking about all these things. <laughs> and then you just lower the tone completely. Well, someone had to. So. <laughs> um, I used to I used to LARP a lot, actually. Um, and uh, it's not for me anymore. But I think there's definitely a value to it um, if it's taken that way. Um, 
for the most part, from what I've seen, um, LARPs seems to be a really good excuse, a really uh, social excuse just to get me up and get drunk, you know, and that's, yeah. it's not wrong, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Um, but, uh, I, I think, uh, we're looking back at Holland and, and examples like that, there's, there's definitely scope there to take it away from, from that and horror stories and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whether they're true or not, you know, I don't know if it's possible, but... Yeah, that's... Do, do you know where I've noticed that, that LARPing is really big, actually, is in Poland? Oh, yes. Oh, cool. They yeah. actually have, and I would love to try this, they have a witcher school. Cool. I, there's a there's a group that regularly do Warhammer Fantasy ah. LARPing. So you, awesome. you, you have these guys all done up like Empire Generals oh. and Knights, not, you know, the big feathered caps and yeah. everything. It's really cool. That's awesome. If, if that tickles your fancy, I'm sure there's a, a local 40k LARP uh, nearby in Scotland oh. somewhere. I, I forget the name, but I know some of my friends go to it. I'll need to dig that up for you. I think we know a lot of people that would be really into that. Yeah. Yeah, this is very <laughs> popular. Um, you get to look ladder. into it, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we have... Uh, we have gone off on a tangent, yes. but um, <laughs> Let's I, go full circle. I suppose we should talk to Shaz about yes. running a shop, shouldn't yes. we? Oh man, Jesus, come to this. Yeah. <laughs> so how how did you end up running a, a gaming shop, Shaz? It was a crazy mistake. <laughs> uh, no, I did, no, in all seriousness, um, it was um, essentially uh, we. So I came back, and um, I mentioned that he sold stuff, and mm. uh, came back in 2012 to this country, and. Um, wasn't the best career choice uh, for someone coming back to this country. So um, eventually what that led to was um, I kind of came back to the country and I, I was I'm really passionate about games in general. So uh, I sort of um, looked around for different games clubs and areas and I couldn't really find as many as I thought there would be. I thought that there would be this massive growth um, due to you know the rise in geek culture, Big Bang yeah. Theory, Marvel movies, etc. And um, that that didn't really happen from what I could see. So um, from there, I um, kind of made it my mission to just go and find different games clubs. And so I did, and then hooked them all up and put them on a Facebook page where they could all kind of talk to each other and share each other's, you know, um, activities and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we realized that there was a need for, for a games club in Lanarkshire, um, at which point I founded uh, Lanarkshire Gamers in about 2013, I think it was. Um, Lancashire Gamers just grew and grew and grew um, from one club to two clubs to three clubs in different areas and um, I, you know, it kind of convinced me that there was this demand, this need yeah. um, for spaces and there was something really powerful about gaming that, that had the power to bring people together um, and after that um, I figured I also realised as well that it was a lot of time. However, it was the same, the same people, the same gamers. Yeah. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there's it's just it wasn't growing gaming. And as a result, I, I kind of went, well, if if I want to grow gaming and I'm serious about it, one, I should put my money where my mouth is, and two, I should plant a flag in South Lanarkshire somewhere yeah. to to really grow gaming. And so I did. Um, I went with it. Um, uh, we decided to to go with the, the games and convict cafe model because we wanted to tap into things that people would know, um, but also give them something accessible um, that non gamers, for example, could could come and enjoy. And um, here we are today, you know, four years on. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Well, we've we've been to Settlers a couple of times have, actually, yeah. and I was just thinking the last time I was there, I was there under my my play fusion hat. Um, and I yeah. was actually quite surprised that some people just came in for a cuppa. 
and just yeah, sat, yeah. sat at the side, had a wee coffee, and then went on their way. And it just it felt really nice. It felt really welcoming, you know, that you didn't. It wasn't just gaming. You could just come in and have yeah. a coffee. That I mean, um, I, I was aware that was going to happen, but yeah. I didn't expect it to happen on the level that it happened. Yeah. Um, so what we find is, is on Saturdays, I think it was a Saturday during last, um, yeah. that um, you tend to find the Yu-Gi-Oh players, they, they have parents that come in and bring them in, there are yeah. Pokemon players and so on. Um, so younger people, and essentially they'll come in and they'll sit sometimes for hours doing crosswords and stuff or, or on their phones or knitting and things like yeah. that while having a coffee. Um, maybe they have no interest in gaming, but that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it would be great to get them into Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're, not, if they're not into it, why, why exclude them? Yeah. So one, one of the things I've noticed about Settlers is that you you run a lot of uh, Pokemon stuff. You've mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh! You mentioned the parents, actually. How, how important is it to be engaging kids oh. in tabletop gaming? So sorry, she's snorting away. Um, so <laughs> I, I, don't know if, don't know if you heard there, heard her there. Um, sorry. So with regards to um, uh, kids, uh, I, yeah, I think it's important. Um, actually, though, when we, we started, I actually didn't sell any Pokemon when I first started. I was quite um, closed in on certain um, games and topics. And oh, as we realized, we realized going forward, you know, how important Pokemon was yeah. to getting people to an accessibility and something they would recognize before they stepped in uh, through our doors um so we realized that was definitely a bit a massive hole in our armor it was a chink in our armor um but yeah no i think it's i think it's um important not just in a sort of to continue gaming as a generational thing where you're you're moving from kids to to teenagers and adults and stuff not just in a practical sort of business sense but i think it's really important as you mentioned we discussed like um sort of education side of things yeah and um i think there are sort of not secondary i want to say hidden benefits that a lot of people don't notice about gaming for example um there are parents whose children have maybe some some real difficulty connecting with other kids um but through pokemon through Yu-Gi-Oh, they've, they've just they've they've had absolutely no problems and so there's all these sort of secondary benefits that come with having a hobby and i guess you could say it applies to any hobby i mean you could get these kids doing judo i suppose but for some kids that doesn't work and so yeah. it's very very important to have tabletop gaming as as an outlet for people who you know, fit into to that bracket who who want to take part in that kind of thing. Some of us are more into football, some of us are more into, you know, judo or whatever, um, some of us are more into dancing. But, you know, it's, it's only fair that other kids are maybe a wee bit more cerebral or they like patterns and they, they yeah. want to kind of focus on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Settlers is primarily a shop. Although you know sure. you've got the, the 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 coffee shop side of it, but mm. running a, a tabletop gaming shop is not quite like running any other retail shop. Is it fair to say <laughs> that you quite often end up as a sort of arbiter within the community? There are so many. Um, I was, I've got like a little sort of uh, Facebook um, sort of live stream thing I do every Sunday and this topic comes up a lot um, maybe not so much arbiting but just generally the, the human factor the human element that the chaos of um, people coming in and 
like actively engaging in the shop and spending uh, you know significant amounts of time there almost like a pub for example yeah, yeah. so there's there's a lot of um things that can happen um that you know the human element that they take away from the process of a business so if you look at for example let's say mcdonald's um it's very process driven um it's very how can i get your order to step a to step b to step c until they've got their food and they're out the door yeah, yeah it's um, like the whereas, sausage factory right yeah exactly yeah conveyor belt yeah exactly yeah. um whereas um you know the game shop or the pub is ex- the exact opposite of that um it's very you've got to get questions that are so random they're all going to be fired at you um they are <laughs> very off the wall um i could be asked whether we if i know about a, a comic from the 40s and whether i'm willing to take it in or not um and ex- be expected to answer that you know um whereas same could be said for games you know um so there's a lot of things and i think what we have to do as as arbiters is rather than um being an arbiter what you risk being is you risk being the kind of big ugly ogre that that kind of you know shouts at people and stuff and you really don't want to be that you know people are there enjoy it so you have to at least in my experience we have to to write um processes uh into what we do um to calm down the kind of chaos of of lots of people in one space um so for us for example an example of that might be um for a code of conduct for example uh-huh. um, a lot of shops nowadays are starting for good practice to have a code of conduct um and that way if someone challenges um either me or a member of staff well, i can say well listen it's not just me you know you're not arguing with me there's a piece of paper on the wall that says this is how we do things here yeah. um so there's that there's there's all these other things as well but at the end of the day there's there is an element of arbiting absolutely because sometimes people don't see what the rules should be or they don't know or they have a different expectation um so there's a a lot of uh, there's a lot of weird things going on um especially when maybe one game shop is different to another game shop and what they'll allow um so there's there is so much chaos uh, all the time. Um, it's yeah, it's just part and parcel of, of what we do and part of the human element. So um, it, it just was, it's what it is. You know, you just got to kind of try not to be, you know, judge dread and be more, um, more of, uh, you know, I'm going to sign post you to to this um, this way of doing things and yeah. the way the way we do things. Yeah. yeah. There you go. A little uh, glimpse into the the mind behind settlers. It doesn't look that chaotic, having been in. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm managed... overegging it. <laughs> no, no. I think I mean that's more of a testament to how well you're managing it. That oh, it just you. looks pretty much way of it, you know. It's also yeah. nice and clean. Yes, it, you know, I, I don't you. like saying it. Your but... toilets are especially clean. Yeah. I don't like um, saying it, but a lot of these places can be a bit dungeony. So when we first started Settlers, um, we we said to ourselves, "What do we want as gamers?" And one of the first things that came up was cleanliness. Yeah. Um, now you wouldn't think that as as you know you, you wouldn't you think you normally think something like, "Oh, we need awesome games and we need great people," you know. But no, cleanliness was high right up the near the top of the list, you know. So um, as a result, and that, that's common amongst other people as well, we've, we've canvassed people and asked them, you know, what is it you want from a game shop? And people have said they, they want clean toilets. Yeah. And 
so what we did is that was one of the first things we did at the start. But actually, the number of little things we've added to the formula over time has uh, it kind of astounds me when I look back. So, for example, we have deodorants and stuff in the toilets, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we never thought of doing that in the first place. But someone came along, someone we knew who ran conventions, um, Sven, my member of staff, his wife, Gail, she used to run conventions. And she said, you know, it's really handy just having loads of deodorants and stuff you can use in the bathrooms. Um, people that way can just use it at their own leisure yeah. and it, it kind of takes takes the edge off things. And um, yeah, it does. It works. It's fantastic. Yeah. And there's loads of little tips and things like when you run events, you, you say um, that the event was ran smoothly. It wasn't like that at first. You know, when we first yeah. ran events, there was a lot of teething issues. Um, and, and how we do things. But over time, I think once you get used to and you spot and identify problems, yeah. you're able to kind of answer those problems. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's funny you saying about the cleanliness thing because um, I, I, I think it was not long after we, we met Charlotte and it's, you know, my, my sort of pre-gaming night routine, one of the things I put aftershave on and Charlotte you was a bit like, oh, were you planning on getting up to tonight? You went after shoes. Like, never went after <laughs> Listen, I'm making a statement. I'm leading by example. <laughs> the aftershave is on. Yes. So, yeah. Good. yeah, that was my little counterculture. Get kind of dressed up. That's, that's yeah. kind of a nice idea. I like that getting dressed yeah. up for yeah. game night. Treat yourself. Not maybe not like a date night, but just treat yeah. it like a nice night and yeah. once a week, you know, and yeah. just going out there. Yeah. As I. I See it sort of harkening back to a bit like you know my grandfather's generation where they would put the suit on to yeah. like the bowling club, you know, that yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna say the thing that I really like about settlers as well is the um I don't know what you call it, the settlers motif or the styling where it's all uh, blue and white. It's all uniform. Oh yeah. right. Uh, and, you're gonna give me a complex, you guys are so nice, thank you. <laughs> um, no, but it just it feels clean. Like hmm. it feels organized it feels fresh not not like clinical it, it, or anything, it maybe but... sounds a bit like we're kissing ass but seriously no. the, the, <laughs> amount, the, the amount of places that you go to the amount of gaming venues and things that you go to that are just really dingy yeah it, mm, it's really nice well one of the main things i'm not i'm not shy about this is that i the new warhammer's not so bad no okay. because they've got nice lighting yeah but i used to hate going into the old warhammer because okay. the lighting was so horrible the windows were almost tinted, you know, so it just felt mm-hmm. like you were walking into a dungeon and you were walking in, and it was such an, an oppressive... But I really like what Warhammer have done, actually, I yeah. mean, with the rebrand stuff. Um, I think that's that's really clever, actually, and it also it kind of it gets them stepping off my toes as well because they're they're leveraging their intellectual property with regards to, to Warhammer and they're, they're saying to people... We're not a game store. We're a Warhammer store, and yeah. that's that's really clever because a lot of people associate. They're so big now that people associate them with that, yeah. and as a result, they they can do things their own way that maybe so they don't get compared to like a game shop down the road like yeah. mine, for example. So I think that's that's really clever, and I'm really glad. I haven't been into Warhammer in a while actually, but I'm really glad that they've. They freshened up their appearance. Yeah, no, it's like nice. That. The new shop's really nice and really actually quite welcoming. Yeah, it's it's yeah. also the the sort of physical manifestation of the 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 turnaround of the whole company ethos. Yeah. Like, because yeah. I mean, you maybe remember Shaz like, about six years ago they shut down all their social media. 
Yes, um, I remember the lawsuits as well. Um, yeah. So one of one of the things that kind of turned me away from the company was I was a big Blood Bowl fan, and yeah. um, there was a, a number of really powerful, really effective Blood Bowl sites, uh, fan sites at the time, and um, I remember them getting lawsuits, class action lawsuits and things, and, and cease and desists, despite them being fan sites that were there to help um, push the, more, the company. Yeah. But the, the the most ridiculous thing about that is they were not actively selling or supporting the game at that time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I remember um, taking a hump with them then, and there was a lot of people doing that at the time. But I'm really glad they've turned it around. They are a beloved brand, and yeah. um, you know, definitely. It's, it's, although I don't sell their product in store, I mean, there's they, they do a great job. So I'm I'm really glad that they're managing to turn it around. I really like the uh, marketing that they've taken. Is it for the Uruks? No. Oh yeah. yeah. Where they've turned yeah, it into like like it's a BMW advert. Oh no, it's the Orcs. The, the Orcs. Space Orcs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I've seen that. What well, is that? Like a, a yeah. uh, they, they've done like they, little... they brought out a game recently called Speed Freaks, which yeah. is a, a box game where it's. I think it's a sort of spiritual successor to Gorka Morka. So it's yeah, it's oh, just orcs and sort of crazy Mad Max style yeah. vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like Charlotte's saying, the for the advert that they they did to promote the game, they, they did like a BMW spoof. <laughs> Okay. So it's, it's really, just like stock footage of like you know like really smiling the family an astronaut and, just and walking through a field. I need to watch this. I'm going to watch it's this really after. Good. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. but even the fact that you know they are being a lot more community driven, I think. Really yeah. Even the I fact think, that they're laughing at themselves. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how you know yeah. they're doing good. <laughs> But, yeah, I, that seems to be a culture thing. I mean, nowadays I've noticed that on YouTube a lot. Like people, this culture of, of laughing at yourself. Like, for example, um, PewDiePie. PewDiePie is really, really, yeah. he's a huge YouTuber. And one of the things that he's, that, that, that sort of, I don't know, specialists, people who talk about this kind of critics that talk about YouTube culture, they've been saying how like PewDiePie has, has been successful and able to overcome scandals because he's able to laugh at himself positively and move yeah. on. And that seems to be like a real, I don't know. That that seems part of the zeitgeist to me. That seems part of like like how things are going to be going forward. You know, you own you own your kind of errors. Okay. <laughs> well, I I think I think I think Beatrice is sounding the end of the podcast there. But that, 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 no. that is about all we've got time for, unfortunately. Yep. Shaz, thank you very much for coming on the show. But before we wrap up, for people that are interested in settlers. And what you're doing, where should they go? Um, I would recommend Hamilton Town Center. Um, the we are in Castle Street. Uh, the postcode is ML36BU for all your sat navs. But uh, if not, if you want to check us out first, uh, we're on Instagram as Settlers Shop or on Facebook, uh, Settlers Hamilton. Check us out by all means. Yeah. Excellent, and we'll have all of those uh, links, links yeah. in the the show notes as well. Good. But uh, there we are. Shaz, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, thank Beatrice for yes. us as well. <laughs> I think she's out for the count. <laughs> yeah. uh, and for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. It's uh, Josh from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast here. Thanks for listening to us. And now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the Unlucky Frog Gaming Uh, You can also show your support for Unlucky Frog through Patreon. Be sure to check out our website, www.unluckyfrog.com, to find out more. Was that so hard? (laughs) Look... (laughs) 